Thank you, folks, for praying for us. Thank you, Charlie, for doing such a great job with the Word last week, all day, Sunday school, morning, evening. And uh, Gore, we didn't record the, the Zoom Bible study. Gore, thank you. Uh, I, I've not talked to anybody about it, so I'll, I'll get all the dirt on it later. <laughs> but I appreciate Gore uh, as well. What a, what a blessing. But it's good to be back with you all. First John chapter 5. Um, just real quickly, I, was, I mentioned this at during prayer meeting on Zoom. Um, we, we, we had a great week, and we were very blessed to have our car breakdown on the way there. Who knows where on some unforsaken highway. And um, we were 40 minutes away from the wilds from getting Ben to teen camp. And all of a sudden, a ranger pulled up behind us. And uh, this man was a godsend. And he works for the forestry department of New Hampshire. And he's, he's helping us out, just the nicest guy. And all of a sudden it dawned on me, wait a minute, James Airy works for the forestry department. So I, I threw the name at him and he said, it sounds familiar. He had been on the job less than a year. And so real quick when we were in the truck getting, towing our car, I looked up James. The great thing about Facebook, you can get a snapshot of someone's picture. So as soon as we got to the dealer where the car was going to be fixed, I showed the, this officer, James, and he goes, of course I know him. Just like weeks before, uh, they were fighting a forest fire together, and they roomed together, I think, one or two nights at a motel. And uh, he, it's like all of a sudden this guy became our best friend for life, you know. Uh, what a blessing uh, just, to, just to have that. And so we, we were fine, and just having that, you know, God puts people in your life, and it was like everything was okay, you know. What could have been a major frustration and, a, you know, not an enjoyable experience was blessed, you know. We were so... So blessed by him that at the dealership, we're like, we want to get a picture of you. You know, Mary, Mary's big on pictures. So she's like, all right, we want you. And, and we're, we're getting in front of your truck. And we got Benjamin and me. And, and he's like, well, wait a minute. And he, he stepped up and he says, I got to turn my lights on. You know, <laughs> so, <laughs> it was great. I love this guy. Uh, I won't mention his name, but we're just so grateful. I can't wait to touch base with James about him. Anyway, all right, let's, um, do we pray yet for this? No, let's jump in, pray, and then we'll open the book. Father, thank you again for your word. Father, there's so many people I do want to just think, um, I think of Ma Lucia just turning 90 this week, and we love this dear lady. Lord, I want to thank you personally for bringing her back uh, from Liberia, and um, that she wanted to come back, and uh, we love her, and we're so thankful for her, and I'm so grateful that uh, all the honor that was bestowed upon her this week well-deserved, and I pray that you'd bless her, Lord, and give her more years um, with us. Also pray for Don Watkins, Father, that you'd help him to get the medical attention that he needs, and I trust he's still there getting... We just pray for him, for his healing. I pray for Ethan Ollis, Lord, that you'd bless him. We know this is a the long recovery. We pray for Jen uh, as she tends to her son and, and Bill. We just commit them to you and the family to you. And we pray for blessings and supply of, of your grace. Uh, Lord, I pray for Joanne Tomquitz, uh, for her healing, for her just to have good days. We're so thankful for those good days. And when we hear there is a good day, we rejoice. And um, Lord, I know there's some other folks that I'm, I'm forgetting. We just pray that you would bless our congregation, minister to the needs. Thank you for those that are joining us online. Thank you, Lord, for those that make a point, uh, if they can't join us on Sunday, to, to catch up on the service through the week. What a blessing that somebody will be listening to this, not on Sunday, but maybe Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday, 
We just pray you'd use your word, Lord, whenever it's listened to, whenever it's watched. And we ask your blessing now in the scriptures. May there be power in your word. May the Spirit of God lead and bless and expound the scriptures for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 John 5, verses 19 and 20. We're wrapping it up now. The last three verses. Next Sunday we'll look at the last one, which kind of is an addendum. You know, keep yourselves from idols. But he's beginning to wrap it up and he goes back to his main point of fellowship with the Lord. That's what 1 John is all about. And he, he returns to some very common themes that we've been looking at this whole time. He uses the word knowledge, gnosko, which is a knowledge by experience. That's how God wants us to know him through Jesus Christ. It's the only way to have a personal relationship with the Lord, to know him. It's not through religion. Folks, you will not get saved through the Baptist church or any other church. It's through the person of Jesus Christ. So look at verse 19 and 20. It says, and we know that we are of God. Now just right there, that could be interpreted as a very arrogant statement, especially in the atmosphere of our day. Uh, for somebody to claim that they have personal knowledge of God. We know that we're of God. But then he does one step more and he contrasts it, which if it's not in the right context, by the way, I want to announce uh, Charlie in his Bible study this morning was going through some of the verses and was like veering into my territory tonight. And uh, I, I just, whenever I see that, I'm like, I, you know, this is of the Lord because he didn't have time to deal with it. So now I get to, you know, cram it in there. But he was talking about unity in the church, division. In fact, I'll even quote a verse or two that he shared with us this morning. But this could be very divisive stuff right here. Just look at this. John says, we know that we are of God. The whole world, those other people, they lie in wickedness. And we know that the Son of God has come and hath given us an understanding that we may know Him that is true. And we are in Him that is true, even in His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. This is the ultimate we-them scenario. But it must be kept into context. We are saying, in a sense, and this hits at one of the big issues that John and Paul, the New Testament writers, were addressing in its early form, and it wasn't called this in their day, that's why this term is not used in the New Testament, but it would be in the next century or two where Gnosticism became a big thing, and they are addressing it in its seed form. It's a false teaching that crept in. The word Gnosticism comes, it's just a Greek word, gnosko which is the word knowledge, to know. And the, the Gnostics, the, the pre-Gnostics here, they had the attitude that there are only a few enlightened ones. And those who had this enlightenment, those, they were special people, superior than others. They were the Gnostics. And they looked down on others who did not have this knowledge. And clearly, John addresses this 
this seed lie that was creeping into the church. Paul addresses it. He John addresses it in 1 John. Uh, he talks about the incarnation. Many of Paul's writings address and use some of the terms that they used as they presented Bible truth. But it's interesting because they claimed they were the enlightened ones. And it's almost like John is saying, you know what? We know that we are of God. It's interesting, isn't it? I have shared this before, but I have a memory, and I don't have many memories anymore, so I'm, I repeat this so I don't forget it. Because it was back in the late 60s and the early 70s. I was a young boy. We just, we, I grew up, I was born at uh, Fitzgerald Mercy Hospital. I'm not, this is not about me. Well, this part is. Uh, so we were, I was born at Fitzgerald Mercy. We lived in Drexel Hill. And then when I was, I think, four or six, we moved out to Westchester. So I'm getting to know my neighbors, and guys that would be my two buddies, best buddies as a young child. And I never forget this one time. We're sitting on my uh, front curb side, and, and I'm just a young boy. And I remember finding out for the first time that my friend Michael was Lutheran, and my friend Todd was Methodist. And I remember being profoundly saddened by that, because I was Catholic. And I, will, I just remember the emotion of feeling sad for them because they were not part of the true church, which is what I was brought up with. And I'll, I'll never forget that. And I'm, I'm so grateful for any memory, as I said. So I want to keep this one going in this little brain of mine. But I remember that because I don't know how, and they, they probably don't remember that day, but maybe they looked at me and thought, oh, wow, this guy's Catholic, you know. And, you know, maybe Todd thought, wow, Michael's Lutheran and Steve's Catholic and I'm Methodist. We're the, we got the right way. I, you know, it's the danger of the idea of saying we have the right way could be arrogance, could it not? You know, to say I have the truth and you don't. Now there's some, today, especially today, where it's okay, in fact, we have you know, philosophize that truth is no longer absolute. And so now you are allowed to say what your truth is. And that's fine. But don't you dare say that I am wrong. Everybody's right. You know, and so that's why we have this thing. My truth is. Now, folks, we could say that, you know, this is my truth. But truth, you know, if it's my truth and it's just an opinion... It's worthless. Now John could be, again, this could be interpreted very arrogantly. We know that we are of God. We know, verse 20, the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding. That could be viewed as arrogant, couldn't it? If it were not built on truth, and if it were not built on what God reveals of himself. So does Christianity create division? It's kind of a loaded question. And by the way, both Charlie and, and Josh this morning talked about the fact that I have three points and most preachers have three points. And tonight I only have two points. So I'm violating everything. Probably be the worst time ever. Uh, but I only have two points tonight. Um, but, but the, before we go into these two points, I want to ask you this question. 
does Christianity divide? And, and Charlie kind of, he was going off, he was getting ready, and he was probably going to pick up with it next Sunday. Because, and he was, it was so beautiful, because as he's going there, I'm like, Charlie, I'm going to be preaching that. I'm going to be preaching that tonight. And, but he's saying exactly like, in the idea that, understand the context. And he's, he'll pick up with it more, but, and I'm going to deal with some of this tonight, but here's the key. In one way, the Bible says this. Listen to what Jesus said. In fact, measure this to your preconceptions about what, who you think Jesus is. Sometimes we believe things that are you know, preconceived ideas that aren't based on truth, and then we're surprised when we hear Jesus say something that doesn't sound like something he'd say. This is one of those statements. So tell me if this matches up with the Jesus you know. Jesus said, think not that I am come to send peace on earth. What? Think not that I am come to send pe- peace on earth, goodwill to men? What do you mean, Art? What do you mean, think, don't think that I came to send peace? I came not to send peace, but a sword. What? You say, Pastor Lyon, what verse are you reading? Is that Second Opinions chapter 3 or something? You know, I mean, where did you get that verse? Well, honestly, it's from Matthew chapter 10, verses 34 through 36. Listen to what he said. Jesus said this. Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace but a sword. For I am come to set a man at variance against. Whoa! Now that flies in the face of a lot of people's mushy opinion or preconceived you know, Jesus is love, only love, only acceptability. He winks at everything and accepts everyone. This flies against that totally. Jesus said, I don't think that I came to send peace. I came to send a sword. I came to set a man at variance against his father and the daughter against her mother and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes shall be they of his own household. Because of me, he's saying. (laughs) Wow. But then you have, on the flip side, John chapter 17. Jesus is praying for his, the church. He says, I pray for them. I pray not for the world. By the way, notice this distinction. He's praying for specific people. And this is what's going to be our focus tonight. There are the haves and the have-nots. There are the us's and the them's, biblically speaking. Jesus says, I pray for them, talking about the church, his, his people, his children. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. And all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. I come to thee, Holy Father." Keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me. Notice this, and this is a greatly quoted phrase. This little statement is often ripped out of its context and used to promote the ecumenical movement. That they, may, they all may be one as we are. That they all may be one. That's what his prayer was. But the very next verse, or two verses later, verse 14, he says, of believers, he says, and the world hateth them. Because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. If you are going to take 
John 17, this what's called the high priestly prayer of Jesus, which is often quoted to promote uh, no divisions in Christianity. Can't we all just be one? Jesus prayed we'd all be one. You cannot rip that statement out of the context without looking at verse 14 again. The world hates them because they are not of the world even as I am not of the world. There's the division. So there is a division. And that division is what we see throughout 1 John. In fact, 1 John is beating that drum. He says they're going to, you know, there's going to be people who say they have not sinned. There's no sin in them. They're calling God liars. You remember, you remember all, the, all that John has been talking about? He's clarifying that there's going to be false professing Christians. And so there's going to be the us's and the them's. They went out from us, but they were not of us. So we have to understand that. So, here's the two-point outline. And they're both D's. I am following the, the letter thing, you know. Division, verse 19, and then the divisor. Now, we're not getting into math. I'll explain what that is in a minute. But first, look at verse 19. And we know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth, in wickedness. Um, the Tyndale Bible says that the world is altogether set on wickedness. Then the Coverdale version, which is kind of a furtherance of Tyndale's version, also says it is set altogether on wickedness. And then the, um, the Bishop's Bible, the Geneva Bible, and then the King James Version all translate it the way it is here. And so the idea is that the whole world is under the influence, some say the sway, of the evil one. The whole world lies in wickedness. John is clearly setting the believer apart from the world. And, and there's not arrogance there, folks. And by the way, to, to clarify the difference between what John is saying and what the Gnostics said, the Gnostics, when you look at their doctrine, it was clearly a manipulation tool to exalt themselves above those who preach the truth. But when you look at the, what John and Paul were doing, they were, yes, they were preaching exclusivity, but they weren't holding it against someone. They were wanting other people to embrace truth, to be one of them. Big difference in the motivation. So the division, we know that we're of God. And the whole world lieth in wickedness. Listen to some of these scriptures that point out this division, this us them, uh, which really it's not a popular thought. Almost sounds unchristian, but you've got to keep it in the context. Listen to some of these verses. Galatians 1 4 speaks of Jesus. He gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world. So we're contrasting we are not of this world. The world it's a present evil world. 1 John 4, 6, earlier we are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. See that distinction? Again, we are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. 
1 John 5.10. We just looked at this not too long ago. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar because he believeth not the record that God hath gave of his Son. And then way back in 1 John 2.15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For all that is in the world, the lust of flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. So we have this division. We have talked in the past about a very common tool of manipulation. It's, it's a new name, a new label that describes an old practice called gas. Remember gaslighting? You remember me talking about that before? And it's based on a play that came out in, I think, the 30s. Uh, but, but it's basically the tool of, that manipulative people use to basically dismiss your truth if it's true. It's, it's kind of a new way to cancel someone out. Gaslighting is a way where no matter what people say, especially if you're trying to point out something that is wrong in either someone, someone's conduct or their philosophy... It is a way that, that they can avoid accountability and, and it's this thing called gaslighting. And they just, they just deny, just deny it outright. Um, again, they use this, you know, my truth. So, okay, I have my truth. Don't you touch my truth. You have your truth. I have my truth. As if truth is relative. Hate to rain on your parade. <laughs> But remember what Jesus said? He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. That is exclusive. And yet, there will still be people that will hear that. And they will just choose the option to reject it. Right? Even though it's true. There's a story uh, from a famous NFL player. Um, in fact, it's, it's uh, the Alabama, the University of Alabama football coach, Bear Bryant. You ever heard of Bear Bryant? I am not a football guy. I'm a Johnny-come-lately to the Eagles, and I'm just learning it all. But Bear Bryant was apparently a very famous, uh, let me see, football coach for the uh, Alabama football team. And and he was somebody was shooting. John McKay, who was actually he's of the NFL. He was with Bear Bryant. They were out duck shooting, and uh, all for three hours they were sh- they were trying to f- hunt ducks, and they didn't even they didn't even have a chance. And then all of a sudden, towards the end of the day, one lonely duck goes flying up, and Bear Bryant. Apparently, you had to know this guy. This is kind of typical of him. Um, you know, he has confidence in everything he does. And so he aimed at that one lone duck and he shot the duck and the duck kept flying away. And Bear Bryant turned and said, he said, John, you are witnessing a genuine miracle. There flies a dead duck. You know, I mean, there's some people that it doesn't matter whether they are proven wrong or what the evidence is. They're going to reject it. But they're going to reject it confidently. And you know what? God never forces himself on anyone. 
He will allow you to hear the evidence. He will allow you to, to see that Jesus Christ came historically, made the claims that he did, died, and rose again the third day. And that that simple truth and the claim of who he was and how you can have a relationship with God all hinges on that. But you have the liberty to reject it. And multitudes do. So when I was being presented with the gospel, now a few years later than my story with Todd and Michael, and I was being presented with the gospel, I was junior in high school, and went to a spa that had a, well, I went to a spa for a free workout, and then they snookered us into a Bible study. John Caputo, every Saturday morning, starts opening the Bible. And, and so this was when I was really challenged with the claims of the gospel. And I really had to think through, what do I believe? And again, at first I thought, he's preaching the same thing I grew up with. You know, we all, it's all the same thing. But it began to dawn on me when I asked questions, and then I went back to my religious leaders and ask them questions, and then I go back to John and ask him a question, and I go back to my religious leaders, and I remember what John would always say. And it drove me crazy at the time. I am so glad he said that. Because every time I'd ask one of my religious leaders a question from this stuff he was, the Bible study he was given, and one of the, the, the lady minister, she would say, well, here's what the church teaches. And then one of my good friends was a male minister of, of the religion, and I'd ask him, and he would say, well, Stephen, here's what I think. By the way, the church, what the church said and what he thought were two different things. And then I'd go back to John with these questions, and here's what he would say. He'd say, Steve, don't take my word for it. Let's see what the Bible says. And I'd roll my, head, roll my eyes just because he said it so much. And I'm so glad he said it. Because he was telling me, listen, this is not my opinion. In fact, I didn't realize, but if I had talked to him like a year later, earlier, that wouldn't have been his opinion because he, he also came to know the truth. And so he would always present. And any question I had, he w- I knew he wasn't giving me his opinion because everything he'd say, he says, let's, let's see what the Bible says. And then he'd point to something in the scriptures and that would be the argument. And it took, for months, it finally dawned on me that I'm not, this is not me versus, you know, the, my, the religious leader here and the religious leader here and then John. And it's, no, this is not, this is between opinions and what the Bible claims. He made that very clear. I was not getting John Caputo's opinion because that had just changed. He was giving me what, the scriptures were saying, at least he was claiming this is what the scriptures say. And I had to deal with that. And by the way, everyone that's listening to this message has to deal with that. Your opinion is the same as mine. Worthless. What matters is, what does God say? That is the most important thing. So we know that we are of God. The whole world lieth in wickedness. So, let's talk about the divisor. And again, I promise you I'm not getting into math. Though that really is a math term. In arithmetic, a divisor is the number by which a dividend is divided. That's Greek to me. I don't do math. 
um, especially don't do geometry. Uh, but what is the thing that causes the division? It is Jesus Christ. Now you see, the Bible is definitely, and this is where Charlie was heading, he's probably going to pick up with this next Sunday, because he was talking about, he, in fact he shared, um, one of the verses he shared was from Corinthians, and it was, First Corinthians 3.10. Yeah, that's where you started this morning. 1 Corinthians 3.10 Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you. So God is against divisions within the body of Christ, making up true believers. And this is where the division is. Listen to 1 John 5.20. In fact, I think Charlie quoted this this morning as well. And we know, no, he, he quoted another one that I have the next in Luke 24. 1 John 5.20, we know that the Son of God has come. This is our verse, one of our verses. And he hath given us an understanding that we may know him that is true and we are in him that is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. Is that, would that be your testimony? Would you say, I know that the Son of God has come. Remember incarnation? That's the critical thing. We're not talking about, remember there's, Paul said if someone comes and preaches another Jesus. So we're talking about not the Jesus of this religion or that religion. We're talking about the Jesus of the Bible. The one that's revealed in the scripture. The living word is exposed through the written word here. We uh, we know that the Son of God has come and he hath given us an understanding. Folks, it's not wrong to say I have an understanding. I once was blind, but now I see. Luke 24. Remember the story of the the disciples on the road to Emmaus? Jesus had rose from the dead, and the word was starting to spread. And these disciples of Jesus were talking about the events of the last few days when he was buried, when he was crucified. And all of a sudden, this stranger comes upon them and talks to them and opens up to them the Jewish scriptures, the law, the prophets, and the writing, the Tanakh, which is what we have in our Old Testament. That's what Jesus used. And then it tells us this as he's expounding the scriptures. Verse tw- uh, Luke 24, 45. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the Scriptures. This is different than Gnosticism, like you get special enlightenment that only a few get. That's just based on you and the the light bulb that goes off in your head, apart from God's revelation. Understand that. We can know God because He's communicated Himself through the Scriptures. Again, then opened he their understanding that they might understand the Scriptures. That's how God has revealed Himself. What a blessing for us to be able to say that in a humble way. We have an understanding of something, folks. Understand the nature of Christianity. If God did not reveal Himself, no person on the face of the earth would be intelligent enough to be able to discover it apart from God 
revealing it. Read the story, you've heard, of course, of John, uh, Douglas MacArthur, General Douglas MacArthur. When he was at West Point, he shares a, a story that um, in one of his classes, they were studying the time-space relationship, which was later formated, uh, formulated by Einstein as his theory of relativity. So he's reading this section in the book, and he had... He said, the text was complex and being unable to comprehend it. I had no idea what I was reading. He committed the pages to memory. So, can you imagine that? The next day, I guess, in class, he was called. When he was called upon, you know, about this theory, time-space relationship, he said, I solemnly reeled off almost word for word what the book said. Whew, saved by the book. He said, our instructor, Colonel Feiberger, looked at me somewhat quizzically and asked, do you understand this theory? (laughs) There's the ultimate question. And MacArthur says, it was a bad moment for me, but I did not hesitate in replying, no, sir. He said, you could have heard a pin drop. He braced himself and waited. What is the professor going to say? I just spouted off this great statement from the book, and I'm asked if I have any idea, and I'm telling him, I don't have a clue. And then the slow words of the professor, neither do I, Mr. MacArthur, section dismissed. (laughs) They moved on. Well, you know what? If God had not revealed in his word truth and the understanding, folks, and it all goes back to the person of Jesus Christ, and he gives us that understanding, if he didn't, we would not have a clue. We may, be able to, we may even be able to spout off the words of Scripture. By the way, remember what 1 Corinthians 2.14 says. The natural man, an unsaved man, the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because, or for they are spiritually discerned. So God has to open our eyes to give us understanding of what the scriptures have already said. So listen to how intimately connected truth, not my truth versus your truth, real truth, absolute truth, is connected with Jesus Christ. John 8.42, Jesus said unto them, If God were your father, ye would love me. For I proceed forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. He's claiming to come from God, the only one that came from God. John 14, 6, I quoted that. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Listen to what John said, or Jesus said in John 14, 9. He said, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that has seen me has seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, show us the Father? God has revealed himself through his Son, Jesus Christ. We're not talking about religion. Religion can condemn a soul. If somebody tries to work their way to God, Christianity is God reaching down and establishing a relationship with us. That's what it is all about. 1 John, I'd go back to the very beginning of our epistle here. 1 John 1, 2. For the life was manifested and we have seen it and bear witness 
and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. So here's the key today. Do you know the truth? And if that sounds arrogant, and if you think, well, you know, you claim you have the truth, I do it in the same way that John does. Not that there's any superiority. I'm simply going, no, I've thrown my opinion out the window. I used to have an opinion about religion, and it was my opinion. You know, like so many people, we create a God of our own imagination. Pick pieces we like, and we, you know, it's like we pick and choose what we want to believe about whatever. I threw all that in the trash when I understood that God has revealed Himself very clearly in the Scriptures. It's like, take it or leave it. I took it. Which meant I had to leave my own opinion. I hope you will too, if that's keeping you from Christ. First John, I, cl- I close with this. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 11 says this, For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. It's the only foundation. I close with this. You ever heard of the name Frank Lloyd Wright? He's a very um, he's been described as one of the most innovative architects in America. Uh, we're talking many years ago. And um, many years ago, he, Japan had asked him to design a hotel for Tokyo that would be capable of surviving an earthquake. So he visited uh, he visited Japan. They had already made plans for what would be called the Imperial Hotel, uh, where it was going to be built. And they asked him to come and you know do the structure, architecture. And so when he went, he found, he was appalled to find that there was only about 8 feet of earth on the site. Beneath that was about 60 feet of soft mud that slipped and shook like jelly. Every test hole he dug filled up immediately with water. Now I'm reading from the account. A lesser man probably would have given right up, but not Frank Lloyd Wright. Since a hotel was going to rest on fluid ground, he decided to build it. It was built in 1915. He decided to build it like a ship. Instead of trying to keep the structure from moving during a quake, he incorporated features that would allow the hotel to ride out the shock without damage. Supports were sunk into the soft mud, and sections of the foundation were cantilevered from the supports. The rooms were built in sections, like a train, and hinged together. Water pipes and electric lines, usually the first to shear off an earthquake, were hung in vertical shafts where they could sway freely if necessary. Sounds genius, in my limited architectural knowledge. Wright knew that the major cause of destruction after an earthquake was fire. And because water lines are apt to be broken in the ground, and there's no way to put the fire out. He insisted on a large outdoor pool in the courtside, just in case. Well, on September 1st, this was again in 1915. In 1923, September 1st, Tokyo had the greatest earthquake in history. There were fires all over the city. 140,000 people died. And as the news reports slowly came back to the U.S., this was before the Internet, slowly came in. One newspaper was planning to print that the, the story that the Imperial Hotel had been destroyed because there was a rumor that it had been destroyed. How could it not? Uh, but when the reporter called Frank Lloyd Wright, he said, you can print the story if you want, but you're going to have to retract it. Now, he didn't know. Remember, there was no Internet. He couldn't even call on his cell phone to find out. You had to wait. 
But he said, you are more than well. He was so confident in this structure. that he said, go right ahead, but you're going to have to retract it later. And then shortly after that, he got a telegram from Japan. The Imperial Hotel was completely undamaged. Not only that, it provided a home for hundreds of people. When the fires that raged all around the hotel threatened to spread, bucket brigades kept the structure wetted down with the water from the hotel's pool. So it, it, because he considered the foundation and the conditions that needed to do it, he was confident. Now John is so confident in the foundation of Jesus Christ. He is not boasting in his opinion or his intellect or his religiosity or how good he is. He is boasting only in Jesus Christ. His confidence is totally in him. God has given him that understanding. God wants you to have that knowledge. He wants you to have that assurance. Do you have that? Do you know? Again, we close again with 1 John chapter 5. Verses 19 and 20. And we know, see if you can say this, I know that I am of God and the whole world life in wickedness. And I know that the Son of God has come and He's given an understanding that I may know Him that is true and that I am in Him that is true, even in His Son Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Last thing, First John 5. This is the record. That God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He that has the Son, what? Has life. Is that you? He that has not the Son of God, has not life. Is that you? Only those who have the Son have that understanding. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Lord, we're so grateful that whereas we were blind following our own way and muddling about in darkness, that the glorious light of the gospel shined in unto our heart that we might be saved. And Father, that those, uh, that, that, that gospel, that simple gospel that saved our soul is hid only to those who are lost and whom the God of this world has blinded their minds. So we pray that you would open eyes to the truth of the gospel that folks would be saved and not in arrogance, but in perfect confidence in their Savior, they would be able to say that they know truth. Thank you, Lord. Bless us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, take your hymn books out. Let's all stand. We will close in song.